It wasn't Hunter's Coke. <laughs> That's what they're saying now. This is just too good to be true. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Greetings and welcome to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. So over the long weekend, Monday, midday or so, there began to be some, well, some whisperings that a small amount of white powder was discovered in the White House over the weekend and that the Secret Service responding as well as Fire Department has met all that they did a test because, of course, this is a secure area. And, I mean, the default expectation of having coke inside the White House is that it is some sort of nefarious terrorist substance. Right, uh, anthrax, if you will. But no, there is a whole host of other nefarious substances now that first son Hunter Biden frequents the premises and um, uh, the White House is at pains now. They have to confirm it. They had to confirm it today. Law enforcement came out and said, yep, 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 we found Coke in the White House. We found it inside a secure area in a part of the West Wing that not everybody has access to. And then Corinne Jean-Pierre gets out there and says, well, you know, uh, Hunter Biden, he's uh, he was away this weekend with the first family. They were up at Camp David. And uh, I, that's supposed to be the explanation for it. Now, I'll tell you, it just for a moment, I want you to consider the type of news coverage there be uh, if four years ago, right around this time, coming out of the July the 4th weekend, if a white powder that was determined later to be cocaine was discovered in an area of the White House frequented by one of the Trump kids, can you, can you just suppose what the mainstream media would do with that? Instead... Right? Instead of covering the story, there is a total gloss over of it. One. Two, when there is mention of it, you know, we are being chastised as conservatives and critics of these of this administration. We're being we're being told, hey, be, be, be nice. This is a recovering addict. This is a sensitive issue. This is a father that loves his son. Don't be a jerk is the admonition. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, by the way, folks, I'm, I'm tired of being told not to be a jerk when it comes to Hunter Biden because I have a feeling he's the jerk. He's the guy who's used his father's office to profit off of. He is the one who failed to pay income taxes when any one of us, having done the same thing, we would be spending years in federal prison. He is the one that fathered a baby with a hoe and then, and then, has refused this child even the dignity of using her father's name. This is a guy so despicable. Words, there, there are no words to describe it. He's a bully. He is not that bright of a guy, by the way. So I'm, you know, I'm going to file him also under a bit of a cretin. But he's definitely a bully. 
he's definitely a fraudster. He's a criminal. He's an addict. And he's one of those addicts who has not yet, and this is very critical in all this, I'm not hearing stories of him going to AA and you know doing the, doing the hard path back to health. This is a guy who is, you know, doing some perfunctory, you know, you know Hail Marys and, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to a diversion program. I know real addicts. I know people who come back from serious, who have come back from serious addiction. This is not an easy thing you just kind of do and throw together. And the other thing you don't do, and you know this, those of you who've been through AA, you, you will attest to this, uh, you don't just move forward and not acknowledge your past wrongs. A critical part of the AA process, of the recovery process, is that you make amends. You fess up. You admit to the many crappy things you did when you were hooked on whatever substance it was that you chose to be, you know, that you chose to inject or put inside you. All right? That's, you're not seeing any of that. You're not seeing a guy that is coming, you know, to anyone palms up. You're not seeing a guy who is uh, clearly shouldn't have been. I mean, it's, look, look, I mean, it's, he was in this relationship with this gal who's now in Arkansas, made a child with her. He's got responsibilities. What does he do? He goes to court to minimize what he owes in child support and refuses a relationship. I don't know. It just does not sound like somebody who's making a meaningful substance abuse recovery. And everybody from the president on down is covering for it. And it's embarrassing. And it highlights a devastating double standard because, again, I come back to this. What if, what if, what if the president of the United States or Donald J. Trump and they found coke in the West Wing I mean, hell's bells. It would be front page news for the next seven weeks. Meanwhile, the media allowing Karine Jean-Pierre to say, well, you know, we're looking into it and trust you. We're going to come back with some real honesty with this. We're going to we're going to trace this, you know, and get it figured out. And none of us believe her. Because we are done getting gaslit by these people. We have had it up to our gills, right? I mean, who's with me on this? And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I, I think even, you know, middle of the road people who are, uh, you know, the, let's call them the independents, really call independents, Democrats light. They're starting to get pissed off about this too because enough is enough. I mean, th- th- this, is, this, is, this is absurd. Now, the defense, of course, uh, from some in the left, many in the left is, well, listen, I mean, it could have been anybody. All right, so you've got a little bit of a coke problem in your administration. I don't know. If I found loose cocaine in my office in the morning, uh, I would be very concerned because my staff are held to a high standard. And doing coke at work, okay, is not acceptable. <laughs> I, I can't even believe I, I have to say that. So, if it was anybody there, it's a big deal. Second, I mean, it's a little suspicious that in comes Hunter Biden and stays for a little bit, then leaves. And then when he leaves, they find the Coke. I mean, how stupid do they think we are 
I think it's a reasonable conclusion to draw. And so then, then the real question becomes, all right, so you've got somebody who's reckless. We don't get to pick our family members. And, and, and my kids are, are still too young. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm leveling here. My kids are still too young to profoundly disappoint me, right? My oldest is 15. And those of you who have grown kids, you, I think you know what I mean. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're, they still haven't lived life. They still haven't made real mistakes. Bad grades, problem at school, you know, a fight, whatever, that, that happens. But when, when, when kids become adults, you know, they, they, you know, even the best parents are disappointed. And there's failure, right? But at what point do we look at the sitting president of the United States and say, listen, your son is a disaster. Even if we take all the facts that we know right now and view them in a light most favorable to Joe Biden, you have a, you have a human being here who has a fundamental problem underestimating the dangerousness of his son. And to give him access to the West Wing, to give him access to the White House, to give him access to the halls of power of this country is, to me, a disqualifying feature of Joe Biden. Take, I, remove all the other stuff, all the, all the graft, all the fraud, everything, all of that, and boil it down to this. Let's say it was, let's say the Burisma stuff was all Hunter. Joe didn't know anything about it. That's not the point, even if it were that. He doesn't get a pass. Biden doesn't get a pass because he's got extraordinarily poor judgment allowing his kid this type of access. A kid, my guy's a grown ass, pardon my language, grown, grown guy. Oh, I am just, I'm fired up here, folks. All right, we got to take a quick break. Sam Urjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Yeah, no Coke on my desk, friends. I promise you that. Just uh, a little co-fief here, keeping me going. I'll be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Your favorite recovering Californian, uh, Sam Rajovsky here, both neurotypical and heteronormative. So uh, just letting you know, that's the trigger warning here on the What's Right show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk 840 KXNT. All right, friends, look, um, here is, we're talking about the Hunter Biden Coke thing. I don't want to belabor the point. It's not about the Coke. It's about letting this degenerate into the White House. I don't care if he's your son or not. Remember, remember all the crying and, and whining from the left about how dare Trump let his kids in the White House and give advice to him in the White House and take him on Air Force One. So I'm, I'm old enough to go back five years and remember that. And, you know, you, you don't have to like the Trump kids, but all in all, they're good kids. I mean, they don't have any illegitimate kids that we're aware of. They, they seem to have a good relationships with, with their own children that they've got. They have good relationships with each other. They're not crackheads. So, I mean, I'm, I'm at, a, at, at a loss, right? But, I, but it was relentless during the Trump years, relentless, assailing 
Eric, Trump, you know, Don Jr., Ivanka, Jared, and all these things, it was, it was nonstop. And all the left does now is crickets on Hunter Biden, who clearly has, I mean, he's there all the time. He's always at the White House. What's he doing? That's a question I have. I mean, we have some idea now, right? He's doing blow. So here is the amazing affirmative action spokesperson for the Biden administration, the one and only KJP on the cocaine. Corinne Jean-Pierre, here you go. As you know, the... The, the president and the first lady and their family were not here this weekend, as you all reported on this, and as you also know that they left on Friday and returned just yesterday. Uh, where, uh, where this was discovered uh, is a heavily traveled area where many White House uh, West Wing, I should be even more specific, uh, West Wing visitors uh, come through uh, this particular area. I just don't have anything more to share. It is under investigation. Yeah, how many of those West Wing visitors uh, are permitted and think they could get away with doing coke in an open area, in an open desk, where it would be easily found? I mean, I think that's a fair question. You can hear her backtracking. So I, I mean, by the way, I mean, again, what if it's somebody in the White House. What if it's somebody that's working there? I think that's a problem as well. But it just doesn't seem as likely to me. My problem here is, uh, folks, candidly, I'm a little out of my depth because I can tell you categorically that I have never, ever in my life done cocaine. And I can also tell you that now, I hope I hope those of you out there who have dabbled in this stuff are aware just how dangerous cocaine is right now. I mean, I mean, look, it's not being produced by Pfizer, which doesn't, <laughs> I mean, that would make, well, that would probably make it dangerous on a whole another level. No, but look, it, it's a lot of the stuff's being cut with fentanyl. And even some very nice houses here in town in particular, I see it, you know, I got an office in California, Newport Beach, and I, I you know, I see, I get the news alerts there. You know, a nice fancy place on the water, 10, 15 million bucks, and uh, police police show up, and there's there's three, four dead people inside because they all they all took a bump of some bad stuff, and it was their last ride. I mean, there's a there's this is, this is reckless. I mean, at this point, using coke is reckless. This is not the stuff from the 80s. A fentanyl out there's uh, it, it's. You've, you've got a you've got a you've got a roulette's wheel chance of dying. I'll tell you that. So uh, this you know this is but anyway, the other part of the story too is the other bits of cover that that Hunter keeps getting, and we know part of it, right? Part of it is Joe right now. The president has a problem because Hunter Biden is the core linchpin of the entire pay-to-play scheme. Now, I, for one, am convinced that, that Joe Biden was very aware of it. He participated in it. We know that there was that call to Chairman Zhang uh, that was a it was a, a text message, excuse me, WhatsApp text message that was uncovered here in the Republican investigation of this of this mess. And, and what they found was, you know, he's got I've got the guy sitting next to me. I got Joe right here. I got the big guy. 
And uh, between me and him, you don't want to know what we can do for you if they didn't, uh, uh, if if they if you don't pay us the the five ten million dollars, whatever it was. Now, it's all being framed on the left. And Anna Navarro at CNN, she, she keeps making the same apology, the same s- oversimplified apology that this is just basically all about a father's love. Listen to her. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son Hunter, and will never treat him lesser than. And so he is a father first. Take it or leave it. Listen, okay, listen. I mean, that's AOC, but yeah. Listen, it's it's just a father that loves his son. And as a father with a son who's 15 and growing up fast, I, look, I relate to that at some level, but but I also have a business to run. So would I if I knew my son was a crackhead, if I knew my son is a major problem, would I let him hang around my office? Would I let him become a problem within my company? which I think is analogous to, although the scale is tiny by comparison, analogous to Joe Biden's business, his job being running the country, being president of the United States. Now, of course, he does view it as a business. We know that because he's always finding creative ways to increase his profit margins. So you got to hand it to that. You know, it's funny how, how Democrats always find a way to be capitalists when it comes to their the, the lining of their own pockets. But that's a side note. KJP gets asked, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson for the Biden administration, gets asked uh, if Biden's going to acknowledge his grandfather, which I think this is a scandalous part of the story too, how they've treated this child. It's not Hunter's, you know, the kid didn't get to pick who her dad slept with. She didn't choose this. A life was brought into being. And here's what, uh, here's the question and the answer on the topic. There was a story in the New York Times over the weekend about Hunter Biden's daughter in Arkansas. Uh, does the president acknowledge this little girl as his granddaughter? I don't have anything to share from here. I don't have anything to share from here. No. The answer is no. And it's despicable. These people are, I'm, I'm just trying Joe was sold to so many people in the U.S. as the grandfatherly good guy. And some of us got here on the radio and we, you know, we, we told everybody that would listen that this guy's not a nice guy. He's got a short temper. He's mean. He's avaricious. We talked about this. And now it's on full display. You know, if, if, if my son fathered an illegitimate child and treated her this despicably, I, I would have words with him. And I would, do what, I would do what I could to step in and do the right thing. And that doesn't make me special. In fact, I, I don't think that's special at all. I don't think that's extraordinary. It ought not to be in any way, shape, or form out of the norm. That ought to be common human decency, which these folks do not have. Now, we come back. I want to address this case uh, regarding censorship. It's making its way through federal court. It is much worse than we thought. If you got booted from Facebook, if your posts got throttled during COVID, well, let me tell you, the guy behind it all, Joe Biden. 
I'll explain why when we return. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome back here as we recover from the 4th of July weekend. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism. Uh, Lots of people are not very patriotic. I'm going to say something about this right now. Why is it that the left has to take a huge, colossal verbal dump on this country just to make themselves feel good every July the 4th? Representative Cory Bush, Democrat St. Louis, tweeted, quote, the Declaration of Independence was written by enslavers and didn't recognize black people as human. Today is a great day to demand reparations now. Emoji black fist up in the air. Emoji black fist. (laughs) I I mean, we could go here and talk for hours about who the greatest enslaver of black people in the history of the world, <clears throat> Africans, uh, was. We could talk about how, uh, really, I mean, we, we could talk about a lot of different things, but it's not the time of the year to do it. Representative Jamal Bowman Democrat New York tweeted, quote, this July 4th, we must remember that we stand on stolen land toiled by enslaved Africans and recommit ourselves to the fight for freedom, equality and justice so that these ideals are accessible to everyone, not just a privileged few. We are not free until everyone is truly free. I'm I can't even get that out. I'm catching my breath. So Native Americans, they enslaved blacks too, by the way. Kind of gets weird, right, when you go back far enough and study history. Side note, uh, (laughs) you see the thing about Ben and Jerry? (laughs) This is what reminded me of it. The Daily Mail uh, mentioned that that Ben and Jerry did something similar to Jamal's, uh, Jamal Bowman's tweet. So yeah, they they sent they sent out a tweet this Fourth of July. It's high time we recognize that the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it. And the piece basically said something like, "Does Ben and Jerry's deserve Bud Light treatment?" And okay, I'm I'm so sick and tired of the stolen land stuff. My my parents come from Europe. Okay. Do you know how often land gets "quote unquote" stolen in Europe from this this group and that group and that country, and they take it over? You you want to look at the map of Europe and how much? It's like if you did a little flip book, you know, one of those animation flip books of borders moving in Europe. It blow your mind. People are so ignorant in this country. The left is so stupid. Oh, the Indians had it first. Well, who had it before the Indians? I I don't look. You could keep going back and back and back. So just I'm leaving that there. What caught my eye in the Daily Mail piece was, does Ben and Jerry's deserve the Bud Light treatment? And I started yelling and going, no, 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 no. (laughs) 
I actually wanted to defend Ben and Jerry's. Why? Because for as long as I can remember, I have known, it was obvious to anybody who has eyes and ears, that Ben and Jerry's run by radicals. Ben and Jerry's, uh, these guys are hippie leftist freaks from Vermont. I think they're from Vermont, right? Hmm. But we've, I've, we've always known what their political position has been, which is why I don't, as a rule, buy their ice cream. I never have. Buy other ice creams. There's plenty of good ice cream out there. I don't, don't buy Ben and Jerry's. And so why doesn't it deserve the, but like the reason, well, simple. I mean, they've been very open about their political views. You know, I, I'm a lawyer here in town. I'm open about my political views. I'm very just palms up about it. You all know who I am and you know what I, I feel about things or how I feel about things. So uh, that's my choice to be, to be open and obvious. You know, Bud Light is an example of a company where behind the scenes, unbeknownst to us, under the surface, they're all a bunch of, you know, left coast fanatics. They're all a bunch of people that want to want to shove their views on us, their minority views on us, the majority. And then they just they got ahead of their the ahead of themselves over their skis and, and went public with this idea and it blew up on them. And rightly so, they deserve to be punished for it. So the Bud Light thing is different from the Ben and Jerry thing. That's my 10 cents on it. All right. So now with that, I got to tell you something. I get pivot here to the more important story. There is a, um, a, a, a very important uh, ruling, a request for a preliminary injunction granted uh, by, let's see, uh, Terry uh, Doughty, Doughty, excuse me is his name. Uh, this is a state of Missouri et al. versus Joseph R. Biden, a.k.a. the president of the United States. This decision came down, uh, was released a couple days ago. I, I cannot overstate how devastating this 150-plus page opinion is. Now, it's just a ruling for a preliminary injunction. That's what this is. Now, what is a preliminary injunction? This enjoins, it prevents, it bars legally the White House and federal and several uh, subservient federal agencies that fall under the, under the uh, executive branch from trying to get social media companies from censoring people or posts. And I would say the first, uh, I would say third of this opinion, of this ruling, this memorandum, because it's not, an, it's not necessarily an opinion, it's a, it's a memorandum. It's, it explains why the preliminary injunction was granted. And the first third of it deals with some procedural history of what was going on when Joe Biden went into office. Within three days, his people were on the phone writing emails, calling, having conferences and meetings with Facebook, with YouTube, Google, and other companies, getting them to take down harmful content. Now, harmful content, that's how it's being sold to us, right? They're like, well, we didn't want COVID misinformation. We didn't want vaccine hesitancy. That is a term that appears here I would say about a hundred times in this memorandum, vaccine hesitancy. And those two words, misinformation, I would add to that the 
other friend of that word, the second cousin, disinformation, and the third cousin twice removed, malinformation. Together with vaccine hesitancy, this was the premise by which the Biden administration routinely reached out to private companies and asked them. In fact, I would say that's even a, a, a weak word instructed and demanded that they take down specific posts put up by specific individuals. They specifically targeted uh, accounts, American human beings who had accounts for, uh, they asked that those accounts be removed, that people be blocked, permanently booted, people like Alex Berenson, who had, there's a, in this in this memorandum, there's a specific. They've got the they've got the receipts, right? They've got the information. They've got the emails going back and forth. The White House asked that Berenson's account be cut, and so Berenson uh, was within three days. Uh, Twitter uh, permanently banned him from the platform. It's scandalous. It's despicable. But here's the part of it. And gosh, do we go back to the despicable Bidens? Do we get an idea of just how wretched this stuff was? See, it wasn't all just to do with COVID. And this is something I didn't know. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, wasn't, I hadn't seen the, the proof of this. And maybe I missed it. It's you know, possible. But one of the things that, that happened here is um, there, was a, there was a specific request, believe it or not, by the Biden administration to remove information, remove an account that was a parody account for uh, this uh, Hunter Biden's love child. And I'll tell you, this was, this was really shocking to me. A guy named Rob Flaherty, who is the former deputy assistant to the president and director of digital strategy. So this is the guy inside the White House that is in charge of, um, is in charge of, 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 you know, the internet, we'll call it that, right? And he said, um, he said here, uh, this, is, this is a quote from the memorandum here that the judge wrote. On February 6, 2021, Flaherty requested, requested Twitter to remove a parody account linked to Finnegan Biden, Hunter Biden's daughter and President Biden's granddaughter. The request stated, cannot stress the degree to which this needs to be resolved immediately, and please remove this account immediately. Twitter then suspended the parody account within 45 minutes of Flaherty's request. What you had here, you had the Joe Biden administration, February 6, 2021, right? So what is that? Within a week? of coming into office, coming into power, throwing around the weight of the presidency to remove unflattering content from the internet. This is dictator-level stuff, folks. This is not, oh, we were doing it for the health and welfare of the country and we wanted people to get the vaccine because we really believed back then that it was the right thing to do. No, this is fascism. I don't know how else to put it. This to me is the biggest part of the story and no one's talking about it. 
Of course, the apologists will say, no, no, no. This is just the story of a father's love. Joe Biden just loves, just loves his son so much that he wants to protect him. No, this is unconstitutional. It's despicable, and it's why a temporary injunction is in place. This is going to go likely up to the Supreme Court, and the Biden administration is going to get walloped upside the head. Because the First Amendment says two things. It says it means two things. One, you're, you're not – the government cannot compel you to speak, right? But the relevant part here is the government cannot, except for some very specific, very narrow exceptions, cannot prevent you from saying and speaking what you want. Doesn't matter how crazy it is. Doesn't matter how offensive it is to the sitting president of the United States or whoever's in power. Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. The, the government cannot limit speech. And what comes out of this ruling, folks, this is very important. What comes out of this ruling is obvious that it was the administration. It was the government. It was the West Wing. It was the executive branch that was telling these private companies what to do. And so it becomes government speech censorship, which is a prima facie violation of the First Amendment. Scandalous, scandalous stuff. I hope I, this administration just stinks to high heaven, let me tell you. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, back in a GIF. Welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. There's been a major injunction, a preliminary injunction, uh, granted by uh, Judge uh, Federal Judge Terry A. Doty. This is in the Western, uh, let's see, the District Court, Western District of Louisiana. Uh, this is a big case, a state of Missouri NL, bunch of co-plaintiffs in this case. Uh, they've requested... Uh, they've requested all to be joined together in this action. Uh, plaintiffs consist of different doctors, people that were skeptical, for example, of COVID, uh, including uh, Jill Hines, Dr. Jayanta uh, Bhattacharya. I always mess that name up. Uh, Aaron Kierty, Martin Kuldorf, uh, and others. So this, um, uh, the defendants on, of course, President Joe Biden and then uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre's on there, uh, all, Vivek Murthy, who's the attorney, uh, excuse me, the Surgeon General, and others in the Biden administration and other subservient federal agencies. Now, at the heart of this, and I was just sharing this right before the break, is our very specific documented, right? There are emails that proffered this up as proof there are there were depositions taken and people testified under oath of specific instances and not a few we're talking about probably it's probably in the high hundreds if not thousands of instances where the government the white house through people that directly report to the chief of staff and to the president went to facebook went to twitter went to google and they said to them, we want this post taken down. We want this person removed from the platform, deplatformed. These people are causing disinformation. 
And the worst part, as I just mentioned before the break, is that it wasn't just about COVID. There's examples, there are examples there, where it was just stuff that was unflattering to Biden. For example, there was a Twitter parody account linked to Finnegan Biden, Hunter Biden's daughter and President Biden's granddaughter. And the request came, the request came from the White House, from Robert Flaherty, who was the deputy assistant to the president and director of digital strategy, saying, take this down immediately. Cannot, quote, cannot stress the degree to which this needs to be resolved immediately. And the parody account was removed by Twitter a mere 45 minutes later. Knowing that, and knowing that most Americans are not going to take time to read a 150-page opinion, the mainstream media is going into overdrive to cover this up. And their way of dis- you know their their way of describing this is is a shambolic. Here's NBC Justice reporter Ryan J. Riley today on MSNBC with Jonathan Lemire talking about what this trying to explain what this is. Bear in mind what I've told you. It's coming straight from the White House. Listen to this. It's not as though the FBI has been going in and saying, hey, take down this post, hey, take down this post. That's what they're alleging, but there's just not a lot of evidence to support that. And basically, we've had a situation where some politicians are making any contact between social media companies and the FBI or law enforcement seem problematic in some way. Uh, No, we've got literally emails from a guy that reports to Joe Biden saying, take down this account that is critical of my granddaughter and my son. I don't know about you. I kind of think that's what the Nazis and the communists did. I mean, I'm, I'm blinking my eyes. I'm looking at you, Ryan J. Riley. So no, this isn't just about the FBI taking some posts. This is literally the president of the United States. And by the way, what threats did he make? I'm glad you asked. They threatened to regulate Facebook to death. That's in these emails too. There's profanity in these emails. If you don't effing do something, we're going to... Kind of sounds like the stuff Hunter Biden did on that WhatsApp text thread with President with uh, Chairman Zhang. <laughs> people are thugs. But that didn't stop more bad takes from happening. Here's CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig uh, telling uh, Poppy Harlow, CNN this morning, uh, that this is just uh, judicial overreach. This is a conservative ideology that clearly comes through in this decision. It's a conservative political ideology, right? We saw some of the quotes questioning vaccines, questioning masks, conservative talking points. But the ruling itself is the opposite of judicial conservatism. This is one of the most aggressive, far-reaching rulings you'll ever see. What this judge is purporting to do is to micromanage, really, the day-to-day interactions between essentially the entire executive branch, all these agencies that are listed as defendants, and the leading social media companies. Okay, first off, Ellie Honig is a law whore. This is exactly why people on our side of of the equation hate lawyers. This person... This, he's, this is despicable. This is a conservative ideology is what he's saying. Wait, wait, wait. It's conservative to think that the First Amendment matters, that the government shouldn't limit and target individuals for what they say. It's conservative ideology that a president ought to have the right to limit what is said about unflattering things that are said about him and his family? Or is this person, is the, did he, 
I would need to know if Ellie Honig was in the White House over the weekend and if he possibly had left some powdered substance there. This is unbelievable. Folks, I tell you, th- there's nothing conservative or liberal about this. If the party plat- if the party platforms were switched on this, if this was a democratic, uh, you know, uh, these were democratic commentators that got targeted like this by a Republican, you would hear me screaming about it just the same way. This is impermissibly a violation of the First Amendment. Everybody knows it, and they're still holding water for these people. It's despicable. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840. Got to take a quick break. Be back in a moment. The What's Right Show will continue. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. The sage of Southern Nevada, the king of common sense, proud Nevadan convert, Sam Rajovsky here, your host of the What's Right Show. Grateful to be with you here uh, this day. Uh, by the way, I, I coasted in here. I coasted in minutes before I, I went on air. I was uh, spent the 4th of July holiday uh, visiting family uh, back in California. So I was in Newport Beach, and I have a couple of, of, of stories. Uh, first off, I got to share this with you real fast because it's it's just it's such a Vegas moment. So I'm at a party hosted by my good friend uh, Noah Bloom, who's also the now serving as mayor of Newport Beach, and Fourth uh, of July extravaganza, a beautiful uh, shindig, uh, lots of uh, fun, interesting. And good-looking people there. Um, the last part I was not did not contribute much to, but no, my wife and kids did, so that was good. So we're there, and we start talking about this nice couple that's that's on patio, and we're kibitzing, and and um, and I find out that they're from Vegas. I say, well, this is great. Um, you know, we're we're about so we're about in Vegas, and we start narrowing it down, and I discover very quickly that they are my somewhat newer across-the-wall neighbors. <laughs> so they're, we literally share a property line. <laughs> it was just, it was, and I have stories like this that happen to me all the time. Las Vegas is absolutely, those of you who live here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Las Vegas is the smallest town. Swear to goodness, they were my neighbors. I, I, I run into them at this, you know, Fourth of July shindig uh, in Newport. Now the other uh, part I just wanted to share. I'm on the plane today, and uh, I want. I'm very pleased to report that the flight went without incident. And I say that because it seems from social media that there <laughs> there is more and more craziness going on in the skies over this country. I people are flying did you see that 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 woman that started screaming on the plane that there was a not a real an imaginary person in the back of the plane so clearly i mean there's some sort of mental health problem because i i I kind of doubt there was a a, a, an imaginary person but the best part of the story is again you can't you know vegas is everywhere carrot top our very own carrot top apparently was on uh the plane when it happened You've seen this viral video, the, the woman screaming, there's somebody back there, there's somebody back there. 
So the 58-year-old comic called her an effing nut job who lost her mind in front of the whole plane, giving his fly witness testimony in one of his clips on Instagram. Uh, he added, I hope she's happy. We're all stuck in Dallas now because of her. Uh, and by the way, if that woman had been, or somebody like her had been on the plane today, I, I don't know if I would have made it here. So and admit that here. I was just, but I had to get back. I had to get back so I'd be on air here with all of you. So I hope Carrot Top made it back into town and uh, wasn't delayed too badly by this insane person. Um, I don't know if there's more of these incidents happening or if just everybody has a phone and they're capturing it. But I'll tell you, I don't think COVID was good for mental health in this country. I keep saying that. What was there a big intervening event between when things were more normal and now? Well, yeah, it was a time when, you know, they herded us onto airplanes like federal prisoners. If you moved your mask and exposed a single nose hole, you know, Gertrude, the concentration camp, you know, warden would come, you know, shouting at you, pointing, put your mask on federal law. You're going to go to prison. Oh, I mean, I just barely, I'm, I'm somebody that, might might surprise you. I don't do well with authority. <laughs> I barely made it through COVID, and I, I flew a fair amount. I flew a fair amount. Uh, so I I you know I I think I think everybody's just everybody's just hanging by a thread, their mental health. And I don't. By the way, I don't I don't have necessarily a solution for it. Uh, I but I I think you know I think that. You know, we just, we just, I tell, I tell you, you know, we just need to, need to value kindness. And the problem is, is that everybody's just shouting at each other all the time. So, you know, just take a deep breath. Not everybody's out to wrong you. And um, hopefully your flight doesn't have one of these crazies on it. Now, uh, I want to talk about. I saw an article over the weekend. I read it, and I, I filed it away in the back of my head, but of course I didn't send it to myself, so I don't have it in front of me, and I couldn't find it back when I went looking for it just now. But it was – the premise of it was that people were talking, I think, to Politico about how – you know, these are people inside the uh, campaign for Ron DeSantis, his efforts to become the Republican nominee for president, and – the people, all of them, I think most of them, all except one speaking off the record, stating that the DeSantis campaign is not where it ought to be and that it's clear that Donald Trump is the runaway frontrunner. And I read this and I said, well, that's a, that's a statement of the obvious. Nothing in the story is necessarily earth-shattering, right? We can read the polls. The only thing I'm going to say is the polls, it's still early. It's still too soon. We're talking, again, just calendar-wise, you're going to have the first Republican primaries when? If early, you know, late January, early February. That's the time frame. And then, you know, they continue all the way through till, you know, the beginning of summer, and then in the summer you've got the convention. Well, what month is it? I'm just asking. It's the beginning of July, so I'm just saying there's a lot that can happen between now and then. But the interesting thing to me is not really what's going on, on the Republican side. I keep saying this is what's going on on the Democrat side. And is 
is the governor of California, Gruesome Newsom, is he going to enter the race? A lot of smart people think that he, he, he may and that, that Biden's you know, sort of hanging by a thread. But here's what's interesting is, is Newsom has been baiting DeSantis into, into debating him, right? He's been pushing him into a debate and wants to make this about a Newsom v. DeSantis matchup. It's almost like Newsom isn't going after Trump at all. He just keeps baiting DeSantis. And it's a perplexing thing to me because if I were Newsom, I would want to fight Trump uh, because DeSantis trounces Newsom on record alone. The state of California is a disaster. It's a war zone. It's become a third world country. And Newsom, all he talks about is how great the rich have it, which I think is a fascinating argument to make as a left-wing liberal Democrat. Oh, we've got the highest wages and the most tech companies. I'm like, yeah, who's benefiting from those tech jobs, huh? I mean, hell, these people aren't even going into the office. So it's, you're not, they're not even hiring janitors. All the cooks in their fancy kitchens, they don't exist. These are all six-figure jobs. Oh, great. And meanwhile, these people not going into the office is gutting the inner cities and vice versa. People aren't going into the office because the inner cities are gutted. And the state is falling apart. So why would, in gosh darn's name, would Newsom want to go pick a fight with DeSantis? Well, DeSantis is starting to bring the fight to Newsom, which I think is an interesting strategy. I think it can be effective for DeSantis because this highlights his record. So this is... Uh, in a press conference, uh, he started this trend a couple weeks ago. He's been saying comments similar to this. I'll play, play for you here what he's saying. This is Santa's kind of almost previewing, if you will, some attacks on Newsom should there be a matchup. He's got huge problems in his state. I mean, like, huge problems in his state. We all know that. I mean, you see it in San Francisco. You see it in L.A. You see it in the people fleeing. California, from its inception, gained population every single year until he became governor. I mean, California was probably the height of opportunity for middle-class Americans for many, many decades in this country. No one would leave there. You know, you would go. People were drawn to there. And yet, he's the first governor that's overseen a, a massive exodus out of California. Now, what DeSantis then goes on to say, and this is where I think it gets fun, is he challenges Newsom to get in the race. So he goes, and yet with all these problems, he's got a real serious fixation on the state of Florida, says Ron DeSantis. I mean, I think it's just bizarre that he does that. Well, what would I, what would I tell him is, you know what? Stop pussyfooting around. Are you going to, are you going to throw in your hat in the ring and challenge Joe? Are you going to get in and do it, or are you just going to sit on the sidelines and chirp? So why don't you throw your hat in the ring, baiting him to get in the race? Now, here is why Newsom has a real uphill road. And Fox, Lawrence Jones has a show on Fox News called Cross Country. And when we come back, I want to share, he, he did a deep dive. He went to L.A., he interviewed business owners, people on the street who are uh, not on the street, but people who have businesses in downtown, people who are in real estate downtown, talking about the problems in downtown L.A. By the way, you read this, the same problem happens in San Francisco 
and other liberal cities. But this, none of this is good for Newsom. And he is ultimately responsible for San Francisco. He was the mayor before he was governor of the state. So he owns this. I think this, I'll play it for you here when we come back. Fascinating stuff. Understanding how here in, in Las Vegas, at least for now, we're completely insulated from the insanity that's happening just across the border from us. Unbelievable stuff. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Greetings, friends, and welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show, your place for common sense, for conservatism, for good, clean, fun, and hot sniggity goodness. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Um, yeah, so look, Newsom, I keep saying uh, Newsom may end up in the race in 2024. I'm not saying he's going to challenge Biden. I don't think that's the scoop. I think that they're, the, the, the Dems are keeping him very warm. And one of the ways that what they're doing is they're, they're having him go out there and campaign on behalf of Joe. Be the loyal soldier. Be the, be the wingman. I just had another thought. What if Newsom is out there campaigning right now and making a name for himself? What if he's auditioning for the other job? What if, um, what if there are active talks behind the scenes of Kamala Harris getting the heave-ho? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. A president absolutely can switch his vice president uh, for the second term. So he, you know, Biden could very well dump Kamala Harris and uh, put in, you know, put in, put in the governor of California, which would be, by the way, fabulous for California because that would be one way to get rid of Newsom. But the state is so screwed, they would end up putting somebody much worse in. Now, speaking of California being screwed, there was a Saturday over the weekend, Lawrence Jones, cross-country Fox News, uh, surveying a burned-out business, uh, talking to a business owner. It's 7 a.m. in the morning. His business burned, was, just burned to a crisp. There was a, a homeless encampment outside that was lit on fire, and it destroyed his business. Listen to this exchange. I mean, this is really, folks, this is really sad stuff and highlights the level of dysfunction in L.A. and in California that will haunt Governor Newsom and, and, and not to haunt any Democrat that comes from one of these states and cities. This happened today. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. And you warned them this was going to happen. I warned them past couple of days. What did the leader say? No one city, did anything? The city doesn't care. Doesn't care about us. The owner of the property burned something. They want, they want us to be homeless. I have inventory in there. Who's going to pay for my inventory? Insurance? What, three years after? I'm going to lose the business. Now, the business owner continues, by the way, this is a Oh, I'm just going to say, based on the accent and look of the individual, this is an immigrant who is you know, self-employed, trying to succeed in this country, and he has a government of Democrats completely hostile to his interests. Once again, I'm going to tell you this, Democrats, <laughs> these California left-wing liberal Democrats, all they care about when it comes to immigrants are folks that need them. They care about victims. 
Are you a victim? Do you need me? Do you need the government? Okay, I'm interested in you as an immigrant. Are you a successful business owner? Are you somebody making it on your own? Oh, I don't need you. You don't matter to me. Or so says the liberal Democrat. Here's what he's, you know, think if, by the way, people say, oh, it's insurance. It's all going to be covered by insurance. No, not so quickly. Before pandemic, my insurance was $2,000 a year. Now it's $14,000 a year. $14,000 a year. So what do you do now? Nothing. Nothing. This is it. This is it. I move. I'm You're moving. moving. Yeah, I'm moving. I'm, I'm moving out. This doesn't make sense. Florida has opportunity. Vegas has opportunity. LA doesn't have anything. You know, this is the problem with LA, you know? And nobody, no, nobody care about property owners, business, business owners. We are, we are the one paying the tax. Yes, by the way, we got a shout out. Vegas has opportunity, Florida has opportunity. If I, uh, if it ends up becoming a matchup between DeSantis and Newsom, let me tell you, this right here needs to be in the ad. And this guy isn't alone. This is just one guy who had his business reduced to rubble. Now, the same program, Justin Jones, excuse me, Lawrence Jones uh, speaks to a guy named Bradley Luster of Major Properties. And this is a family-run real estate uh, firm that's operated in downtown LA for 60 years. And this is the exchange that they had. This is, this is so sad. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to pull up this clip. I don't have the clip ready. All right, pro producer Robbie, we got it. We're gonna. We're, we're, this is live radio, folks. It doesn't always um, come through. I've got it. I've got it here. Don't worry. Don't panic. Don't panic. I've got it right here. We're gonna get it in. There we go. Here is the clip of the commercial real estate guy talking about the state of downtown LA. Downtown LA is dealing with a record number of vacancies. Thirty percent. It's gonna be a bloodbath. The market is going to collapse. And part of the reason is a lot of these businesses can't operate in L.A. anymore. This building was hit by a fire similar. This was a $6 million property with five different businesses that got burned out after the fire. They're gone. They'll Who never burnt it? Homeless. They were the same as across the street, but that one was lucky they didn't lose their building. These people lost their building and all their income. And they're gone. And by the way, when that income gets lost, who's paying into tax coffers? Who's paying into sales income tax, uh, sales tax? Who's paying income tax, business income tax? Nobody. They're gone. Adios. They don't rebuild. You can't rebuild. These are small businesses. And these left-wing loser Democrats don't give a crap. The real estate calls it basically a wild west, uh, you know, of the city. I, I wouldn't even call it the wild west because I would say it's kind of a, a flattering comparison. In the wild west, at least you had liberty. You don't have any liberty here. The government's working against you. Listen to this. We're really in a wild, wild west here in this city. This is being normalized. This has been going on for years, as long as I'm downtown. But when you have the mayor dedicating billions of dollars yes. toward the problem, is it just a money issue? Billions. It's a lack of political will to actually really tackle it. No leadership and lack of will by the private owners to force the leadership to do something. Yeah, but I'm going to, 
interject here. I'm going to explain this. This luster guy doesn't, either he doesn't want to say it or he doesn't know it. For as long as I can remember, the left in America has vilified profit-oriented business owners. The left calls us greedy. The left calls us, uh, you know, avaricious. The left calls us exploitative. And that thinking has, has poisoned policy across this country. At times, all the way up to the federal level. A state like California will eventually go kaput because the, they, they have forgotten that the people that have built the state, that have defined the state, that have made it what it is, are the doers and not the takers. Sam Rajofsky here, Monday through Friday, dropping truth bomb. Be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. All right, all right, we're back. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. The What's Right show is on we're always here, folks, Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. This show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234. That's the phone number, the website, samandashlaw.com. Uh, find us there. Uh, look, I mean this. The story here about uh, L.A. businesses getting, you know, shut down and 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 burned to the ground and, and, and just leaving in mass where they've been, some of these businesses have been for decades because the city of LA will not deal with the homeless problem. Remember a few years ago here in Las Vegas, this was right before I came into town, or maybe I'm trying to think the timing. It was right around when I was when I first got here. There was a enormous, enormous uh political brouhaha over the fact that the city of Las Vegas decided to ban encampments. They posted signs up all around downtown, which are still here, by the way, that said, you know, if, you, if you're if you no camping, you know, at any time, if you get camping, they're going to get arrested and fined. Now, the, the, the left-wingers all had a collective uh, fit because you can't do that to the homeless. You can't outlaw homelessness. Uh, no, it's not outlawing homelessness. It's saying you can't you can't camp and block a sidewalk. Have you seen the pictures out of L.A.? Have you seen what those sidewalks look like? Imagine your kid goes to you know public school somewhere in a nice bougie neighborhood, like let me throw out one a Brentwood. A lot of very wealthy libs live in Brentwood. O.J. Simpson, now of Las Vegas, once upon a time lived in Brentwood. Perhaps he may have allegedly done a few bad things in Brentwood while he was there, but I don't want to digress. Brentwood, it's off, you know, 405 and, you know, Santa Monica and, and, and Wilshire. You kind of go toward the water, toward Santa Monica. You, you, I, I, I've been there. I had a meeting. What's this is now coming out of the pandemic. 
So it would have been probably in 2021. I had a meeting at a very fancy restaurant, uh, met some some bankers, and I, I I got there. As I'm pulling in, as my my driver's pulling up, I'm passing and just a row and row of RVs, of tents, a massive encampment, filthy, right? And it was in front of it was in front of businesses, it was in front of schools. So I asked the restaurant, because at this point I'm living in in Vegas and we don't have anything like this here and I'm, I'm, I'm you know certainly not you know in any part of town where there are businesses set up although I'm I have noticed a little bit you know a little bit of some stuff over uh, over 995 and 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 the 15 and kind of past downtown yeah it's there but anyway I'm asking the, the, the restaurant, I said, well, how is this? How is this affecting business? Oh, you know, and they don't want to be, you know, politically incorrect because they're used to talking to LA people. Well, it's, you know, everyone's got a right to, you know, to, to exist and we have to, you know, be compassionate. You could just tell that it was miserable. What do you think was closed less than a year later? Survive COVID, got through COVID, it was back in business. The night I went, it was packed. Yep, the restaurant I went to, gone. And what's the word on it? It's gone because of the mess outside the door. We have to be very careful. We have a mayoral election coming up. There will be seats open on the city council, I believe, here in Las Vegas. I, I, I cannot overemphasize how important that election will be and how easily distracted we're going to be with the presidential race. That we cannot take our eye off the ball with the race on, on, um, on uh, here in the city. Because it could be devastating for Las Vegas if we take a page out of LA and San Francisco and New York even and Minneapolis and all these cities that are becoming cesspools of human garbage. So Bradley Luster of Major Properties talking to Fox News' Lawrence Jones on his show Cross Country on Saturday, walking by a burned-out building, asking, so what, what, what am I looking at here? What's, what's the story? What am I looking at right here? A fire was set? You're looking at like a 5,000-foot warehouse that would rent for 15000 a month. The business is put out of business, and because of the fire, they lost electricity, so all the businesses are put out of business. So all these different families lost their business. And this is just sitting until we sell it. How was the fire set? The homeless are sleeping here and they start fires all the time. It's like there's multiple fires every night in the city of Los Angeles by the homeless. And sometimes they catch buildings on fire. So it's, it's a constant battle. This is dangerous. It's beyond dangerous. I have a question. Isn't arson a crime? Isn't arson a serious felony? In the state of California, by the way, I'm, I'm answering my own question because it is. <laughs> it is. So why in the H-E double hockey sticks are these arsonist, homeless lunatics not getting rounded up and sent up to the funny farm? Because we can't be mean to the homeless. So we're perfectly willing to sacrifice business owners, homeowners, taxpayers, regular people who aren't demented, people that aren't on hallucinogenic drugs. We're going to sacrifice their lives, their livelihoods, their American dream for people who are garbage. 
Uh, we need to come out and say this. What is wrong with saying that people that do this, that sleep on the street, take dangerous drugs, light buildings on fire, why can't we just call them garbage? Oh, they're the unhoused, Sam. They're, they deserve compassion. Yeah. Okay. They deserve to be committed, involuntary commitment for drug abuse and mental health. They do not need to be on the street. The lives of law-abiding citizens ought to take priority. If you're somebody who's minding his own business and paying taxes and just want to get your kids to school and you know keep your business open, you ought to be the priority of the state. That would be, I tell you, I ever run for, for office, th- this would literally be my platform. I will, I will create a priority chart. And not everybody has the same priority for me. Top priority, tax-paying, law-abiding individuals, right? And we go down from there. The crackhead arsonist, you know, is literally my last priority. And so every bit of public policy would be centered around how do I help protect and help that person that's higher up on the chart? And by the way, you... I think through helping, actually helping actual help for the homeless would consist of mental health treatment, would consist of, you know, of involuntary mental health commitment. That would be actual health. But you know what it really is? The billions that these cities are spending on, quote unquote, homelessness goes not to the homeless. It goes to all these crazy administrative losers that get paid $200,000, $300,000 $200,000, a year. I, I, I've seen this, but look at, look at some of these governmental groups. The people that run them are very well paid. The people that work in them are well paid. The, there's an enormous amount of money going to people to quote unquote fix homelessness. Well, what motivation do they have for the numbers to go down? The numbers go down, they, they work themselves out of a job, Right. So what they do in turn is they don't really work to fix it. It's the same thing as the scam Alan Sharpton. Al Sharpton is running, uh, you know, with with vis-a-vis race relations. They don't want race relations to improve. They want them to get worse in order to self-perpetuate their scam operations. And that's what it is with the homeless problem. It's a scam of epic proportion. Billions of dollars of taxpayer money taken from taxpayers who all they want is safety in their streets, who want their businesses to not get burned down. That money siphoned over to a bunch of useless bureaucrats who all went to the usual suspect schools, affirmative action types, losers to do nothing and let the problem get worse so that they are more needed and the cycle of their loserdom is continued. That's 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 the truth of this, right? I mean, I, I hate to break it to you. And why, you know, why am I fired? Because I'll tell you, you know, I was on a I was on that trip, you know, with some business people here from from Las Vegas last week. We were up at Bill Foley's ranch. I think I told you about this, and I'm you know, I'm, you know, I'm it's in the evening and I'm I'm getting verbose and perhaps having a drink or two. 
And I may have said something unkind about the unhoused. And my wife, of course, gave, gave me a disapproving look, and somebody else kind of looked at me askance. I said, listen, you know, I, I, I have an office downtown. I've taken a corner of the city. I've purchased it. I'm investing in it. I go out there myself and clean these messes up. I came into the office one time, no joke, one morning, walk in up to the building, and there somebody overnight has piled probably two and a half feet deep of garbage up against the side of my building. I mean, it was unbelievable how much effort was put into this thing. And uh, Metro, and it was very great. They showed up and trespassed the guy um, and did what the city of L.A. would never do. But then guess what? I had to clean it up. So I'm in a suit. I'm ready to go to court. I'm ready to, to work for my clients. And, and I, I have to sit there and clean, clean this mess up. And it, was, it, would, it would make a normal person wretch. So I've had to clean up human stuff off my doorstep. I do it. Because that's the battle for the heart of the city. That's the battle for downtown. That's what I, I, I'm telling. I've always said this. You don't, have a, you don't have a downtown. You don't have a city unless you've got a vibrant downtown. So my part, my role in this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to beautify my corner. And frankly, I, you know, I go out there and we'll sweep the alley and we'll sweep. We power wash the sidewalks all around the building. I mean, we do all of that. We take that on. And I, you'll see me here occasionally chasing away a lunatic homeless person and, and, and shooing them like a pigeon out the door. But I, I got to do it because I want this street to be a street that moms take their kids to. I want these restaurants to be frequented by people. I want to reclaim downtown. And I'm saying all this because I'm, I'm explaining to you this would be the core of the fight against Newsom and his candidacy for president. He owns this disaster in L.A., this disaster in San Francisco. It's on him and his fellow California left coast limousine liberals. That's the difference. Those of us who are small business owners, we're in the trenches. We pull up, we roll our sleeves up. No job is beneath us. And this guy, he just jets around, lobbing, you know, bombs over at, at, at Governor DeSantis in Florida. Meanwhile, Florida is a successful state where this kind of stuff does not happen en masse. It just infuriates me. Newsom is a total loser. I, you know, I, I, I welcome him to enter the political fight, but I tell you, gosh forbid a guy like this wins, the country would be absolutely screwed. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840. Quick break. Be back in a moment. The What's Right Show will continue. You know, I uh, had an idea for how we could uh, call my, uh, what, what policy, uh, we could call my little rant earlier about homelessness. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Yeah, just the situation in all these big cities, all of them, incidentally, Democrat run, where you have uh, rampant homelessness that is getting in the way of uh, really of, of businesses being able to stay open. Uh, there's a major report uh, Fox News did over the weekend. Uh, where they went around uh, downtown LA with various uh, folks uh, talking about it. Uh, I'm, I'm, before I get to what I was going to say here, let me just say this. There's a David Lee who's an owner of a Korean-Mexican fusion restaurant in Taqueria called Taqueria in Knob Hill in San Francisco. So Lawrence Jones went up to San Francisco too and spoke to him. 
And this is what he had to say, and it's just so sad. Yeah, today is actually my last day. I closed my restaurant today for good. It, it was just time. Ever since we spoke, nothing's gotten better. It's gotten worse. There's wow. been drive-by shootings down in Bargadero. There's been shootings at the cable car turnaround. More break-ins. It's nothing's better yet. So I just said it's time. Like, why even waste my mental energy to like put up with this anymore? So it's time to go. See, this is not compassion, right? This is not compassion. Enabling criminality to be out of control, enabling drug users to take more drugs, enabling the quote-unquote unhoused to roam around the streets, burn things, steal things, break things, threaten people. That's not compassion. Turning people who are ill around to contributing to make them into contributing citizens, that's compassion. But letting them get worse and worse and victimize law-abiding citizens, tax-paying citizens, that's not compassionate. Now, if their uh, contribution, the less contribution here is to fix this by, well, by saying, hey, um, we need to not use the word homeless, right? That's a big thing. Don't use the word homeless. That is, that's insensitive. Unhoused, that's the new term. So I thought about this and I thought, you know, uh, the political platform here could be make hobos great again. I'm just throwing it out there, right? We used to call them hobos. The homeless was the PC term. Now that's not the PC term. We go back in time, make it retro. Make hobos great again, you know? Uh, and and what it is is you, you can be a hobo, you can be a bum, but you got to be a decent bum, you know? You don't run around screaming and talking to yourself in the middle of the street. You don't lunge at people. You don't set businesses on fire. You don't take a dump in the middle of a sidewalk where kids play. No, you don't do any of that. You'd be a nice hobo or, you know, we're going to deal with you because, you know, showing off, dropping your pants in public is a sex crime. Why is that not being prosecuted? Setting a fire, uh, uh, lighting a fire in a public place, particularly lighting fire to a building, and I'll tell you this, if it's occupied, it's even worse, is, is a felony. Why is that not being prosecuted? We don't need new laws. We just need enforcement. And that is the root problem here. We're not enforcing existing laws. It's shameful. And enough is enough. We've got to take a stand. And my, 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 my problem really fundamentally with American liberalism, this new American liberalism, it feigns compassion. It feigns sensitivity. It, it pretends to be understanding and tolerant. But it's actually at its core, it's deeply intolerant of people that are successful. It's deeply intolerant of families that are self-sufficient. It's skeptical of people who think freely for themselves. By the way, this is how the whole show ties together, right? We opened the discussion with, well, we talked about, well, Hunter Biden and all that, but also the, the, uh, the, the, the stuff coming out in this lawsuit 
this preliminary injunction that was granted by a judge in Louisiana. We see how the left, how thin-skinned the left is. Somebody criticizes them, somebody stands up to them. Oh, let's write Twitter and get them to be silenced. Let's write to to Google, let's you know, to YouTube, let's let's write to Facebook, Twitter, let's tell them they got to cut this account, like cut it. We don't want any criticism. It used to be that what made this country great, you, what makes New York great? It's not the Bill de Blasio Democrats, okay? It's not that. What makes New York great? You think it's any of the left-wing fanat- fanatics that have run it? I mean, even Mayor Adams now. That's not, not what made New York great. New York was made great by the doers, by the people who took risks, by the people who invested in businesses, who became rich. I hate to say this, but we need to start revering success again in this country. Because at the root of this leftist insanity is this condescension of wealth and of success that is incompatible with making America great. And that's the most important thing. If we don't do that, we allow this type of, of, of horrible, um, enabling, permissive thinking that allows losers to be exalted into places of, of, of herodom. I can't have that. Well, that's the music. We gotta go. I can't believe it. An hour up like that. Sam Rajovsky, be back tomorrow. You're listening to The What's Right Show. See you soon.